Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. I am your host, Bob, and this week, we're going to make some homemade pasta. Last week, uh, what was last week? It was the chocolate chess pie episode. I sent something that, in retrospect, is really kind of a valuable takeaway. You know, I said, whenever you're cooking at home and you're making things homemade, you get a feel for the quantity of certain ingredients that are in whatever you're making. And if it's like a dessert, then it informs your decision for how much and how frequently you want to consume it afterwards, because you could remember back to just how much sugar, just how much butter or whatever you're adding into it. And I think that's a really valuable thing to keep in mind because, you know, a lot of the recipes that I make, I'm not going out of my way to like make them exceptionally healthy or low fat, low carb, low sugar, low calorie or whatever. I'm just trying to make like the best, the best example, the best, the best unit of a particular dish. Most of the time as simply as possible. And sometimes, you know, there's a lot of ingredients, there's finicky techniques or whatever. But the point is, is to use like the simplest ingredients to achieve the result that you're working for. Okay. And, you know, I was thinking about this whenever I was making the pasta because I was like, I make a whole bunch of pasta. I don't eat pasta very often. Generally, you know, my diet is, I'm not going to say it's not keto, it's not carnivore, it's not even low carb necessarily, but I do try to be aware of the quantity of carbohydrates or sugars or whatever that I'm So just the general caloric density of the food, you know, if it's something that's very calorically dense, you know, you're trying to you, you regard it as don't eat too much of this moderation in all things especially moderation you know so making pasta homemade is it is very easy it's simple right it takes in and there the steps are prescribed you know there are certain things you have to do in a certain order but you get a product at the end that generally speaking is going to be superior to the store-bought version you know with a lot of foods there is you know if you're trying to replicate something uh, I say this with hot dogs specifically. It's like you know, put out all this work to make a hot dog, and the best result is that the thing at the end is indistinguishable from the thing that you can buy for a buck fifty at Costco. <laughs> it's like you're trying to replicate a known quantity. But then there are other things that whenever you make in homemade, you can control for ingredients and technique and whatever. And the end result is often superior to anything that you would buy that is mass produced, manufactured. And pasta is one class for a couple of reasons. One, you know, you have, you're controlling things like quality of ingredients and you're manipulating the dough and you're getting the thickness that you want and whatever. That's one part of it. And the other part is that fresh pasta is fundamentally different than dry pasta. We got a box in Barilla. Barilla, Barilla, I don't know if I want to sound stupid. There's, those are the two pronunciations that I have in my head. But, you know, your dry pasta, you know, even if you buy store-bought, quote-unquote, fresh pasta, something that isn't, you know, isn't completely dry, might still have a little bit of flop to it or whatever, it's still going to be remarkably different from homemade because dry pasta, it's not just dry. You know, we have this idea that you mix up concrete, you paint a bench, you make pasta, and it's just a matter of it's done when it dries. And there is kind of a, a drying is a, a secondary quality of things like concrete, paint, and pasta. And the primary quality is that it cures. You think if you paint an exterior wall, all that you need it to do is to dry. 
then once it's dried, you should be able to hose it off because it's just pigment suspended in a liquid, whether it's oil or latex or water. But once that liquid has dried, which is evaporated off into the atmosphere, it should just leave the pigment behind. And you could spray it off with a hose, but you can't because the actual method of the action here is that the thing is cure. Concrete cures. It secondarily dries, but the primary action is that it's curing. And dry pasta is the same way. When you make pasta and dry it, it is also curing. It's undergoing a physical metamorphosis, the structure of the molecules of the, you know, the flowers, the egg, if there's water or whatever, it cures into something that is fundamentally different than what it is before it cures. And then whenever you boil it, you are rehydrating it, certainly, but you're also slowly kind of breaking down those cured barns uh, to make the pasta palatable, to make it out dead day, as they say. So whenever you make fresh pasta, you don't have that curing step. And the mouthfeel, the fragor, the texture, like all of those things are remarkably different than from dry pasta. Okay? So keep that in mind. Just pasta, homemade pasta is fantastic. And you don't have to feel guilty about eating it because it is so involved with the process that chances are you're not going to overconsume. You're going to make a reasonable amount. And you're going to appreciate that reasonable amount because you know the work that went into it. And you can just consume it guilt-free. Chances are, you're not going to eat pasta like seven days a week if you're making it homemade. So make it homemade, and that is a self-limiting factor against overconsumption. So there's my, uh, my public service announcement for the week. Make things homemade because you will eat less of them because it's a lot of work. All right, so check the uh, show notes for this. We'll have two recipes, one for the pasta dough, one for some homemade ricotta cheese because... I made two types of pasta, basically like a fettuccine just dressed with a marinara that I made over the summer and raviolis stuffed with like a ricotta fresh herb cheese mixture. And we make that uh, ricotta homemade in this episode. So we'll start with that, but those two recipes will be in the show notes. Additionally, I'll have links to, and maybe I'll do a couple different pasta roller sets, you know, cause you can have the sand mixer attachment, or trio of pasta rollers, one for rolling it out flat, one for cutting it into a fettuccine, fettuccine shape, and one for cutting it into more of a spaghetti shape. But then you have your, your hand crank ones that you kind of clamp onto the side of the table. That's, you know, uh, an inexpensive alternative to the KitchenAid attachment. But then you also have like standalone pasta machines that might have different rolling settings, different cutting settings. Some of them do extrusion, so you can extrude like a margarone shape or something like that. Even like the spaghetti shape, because when you buy dry spaghetti, it'll be an extruded pasta. Let's make it three-dimensional, like a round. Yeah, sometimes it's regatti with ridges. Sometimes it's just smooth, whatever. But those are different ways of producing a similar effect. I use the kitchen stand mixer attachment, which has the flat roller and then two cutting rollers as well okay but we're going to start with the ricotta super simple really the easiest it's a quick cheese it's the easiest cheese you can make similar to like a farmer's cheese or you know like a, a fresh loose cheese in the in the vein of like cottage cheese or ricotta or whatever ingredients for this whole milk four cups of whole milk two cups heavy cream 
a teaspoon of salt, and then like three tablespoons of an acid. If you Google ricotta recipes, they might have varying proportions of milk to cream. They're probably going to have about the same amount of salt. But then on the acid, they might say distilled white vinegar. They might say champagne vinegar. They might use lemon juice. Regardless, you just need an acid to curdle the milk and get the milk solids to kind of aggregate and breathe the way, drop out of, out of the suspension and solution, kind of basically precipitating the milk solids out of the, the overall solution. But that's it. Vinegar, salt, cream, milk. Get the milk and cream into a large saucepan or a large pot on the stove and add your teaspoon of kosher salt and then start whisking it while you heat it on medium to medium high. You can start it off medium high and then back it down to medium as it starts to heat up. You want to whisk it the whole time because heating milk is, is raw with danger. It's not really bad. It's not that dramatic. But you don't want it to scorch on the bottom. Like as it heats up, some of those yolk solids might stick to the bottom and then it starts to scorch. And you'll have heated milk, certainly, if you're up all thing, but then you'll have this layer of, like, burnt on milk scars in the bottom. And you want to avoid that. So by whisking it and heating it over moderate heat, you can control for that. And also the, the agitation will ensure that the, the salt dissolves and is, is distributed throughout the milk-creating mixture. So you're whisking that, you're bringing it basically just, just to a boil. Okay. And you want to do it slowly. It may boil very quickly, but then you'll get scorching. So you want to heat that up until it gets to a boil. Once it gets to a boil, kill the heat, remove it from heat, whatever. You're done at that point. Well, you're done with the heating portion. Once it is heated, you removed it from heat. You can stir in your three tablespoons of acid, whether it's lemon juice, vinegar. I use my homemade apple cider vinegar. Basically any type of acid, vinegar or citric or whatever, will work, but um, I would say don't use a balsamic vinegar. You know, that's, that's a bridge too far. But any, if you don't want to get any type of a, a red or pink hue to your cheese, don't use red wine vinegar, but apple cider vinegar, white distilled vinegar, whatever, will be fine. Doesn't really impart much of the flavor onto the, the finished product. It's a very small amount and it stays in the liquid that it's shearing away from it. So, you know, whatever if you want to use in the, the neutral vinegar colors and uh, textures. Like, you don't want like a thick uh, balsamic. So anyway, you stir in your three tablespoons of vinegar, make sure that it is really distributed, and then you're gonna let that sit for about a minute. You know, that's, a, that's all the time it takes. Right. A minute, two minutes, I think you like a three or four minutes, whatever, but it's not a whole lot. Additional is going to happen once the um, curds separate from the liquid. Okay, so in one to two minutes, let it sit. And then what we're going to do is we're going to strain this mixture through cheesecloth, aptly named. I'm going to making cheese or using cheesecloth for the cheese making process. So, uh, what I like to do is get another pot that can hold all of the liquid that we have here and then set a colander or strainer over the, the mouth of that pot. And then lay two layers of cheesecloth in like a plus pattern, plus configuration inside of the colander. And then slowly, I mean, it basically just so it doesn't splatter everywhere. Pour the liquid from the heated pot into the uh, cheesecloth lined colander. And then we're going to let that sit for like a half hour at room temperature while the, the whey drips out of it. And the cheesecloth has a weave. It's a very loose wing, but it's tight enough to hold all of the solids from this. 
And the longer you let it sit, the thicker and drier your ricotta will be. I mean, 30 minutes is kind of table stakes, and you can let it go longer than that if you really want a nice, dense uh, ricotta, but 30 minutes was fine for my purposes. So after 30 minutes, you can remove the colander from the pocket it's nested in and kind of gently grab the cheesecloth so that you get all one, two, three, I guess one, two, and there are four, four sides basically to, to bring it up into a sack and then you turn that up into a bowl, you know, for hold, just to hold it while we refrigerate it and do some other things. Sorry, I'm getting messages popping if you don't kill the uh, volume. All right, so you get that onto a bowl, put it in the refrigerator until it cools down completely. Yeah. Might be a couple hours. So you can do this very easily early on, and then you can start making your pasta, and then by the time you're ready to fill your raviolis, your cheese, your ricotta cheese will be chilled. Prior to actually like stuffing your raviolis, putting yeah, you wanna you wanna fortify this ricotta cheese mixture a little bit, add some flavor, some texture, whatever. What I went with was just some fresh herbs, parsley and oregano, chopped fairly finely, and stirred into the ricotta as well as about a half cup of grated Parmesan. And the Parmesan fulfilled a couple roles here. One, very salty cheese, so it will impart like a salty flavor to the rest of it. Additionally, it's very dry. And, you know, there is something to say about having like a really creamy, billowy sort of ricotta texture in a, especially in a homemade ravioli where the, where the actual noodle part of it, the pasta part, is gonna be very soft. And, and pleasant is an outfield, but you, you also want some some structure to it. By adding the, the Parmesan, it will thicken and dry out the overall texture of, of, of the filling, okay? So most ricotta stuffed ravioli recipes will call for the addition of Parmesan. Also, I did a little gray red garlic and some black pepper. Basically, I wanted a very neutral prune sort of flavor because I wanted the texture to be the star in the show there. It, they turned out fantastic. But I mean, you could add whatever you want. You could add, you could add basil, you could add chili powder, chili or chili flakes, salt, pepper, or you to like herbs de Provence, whatever, you know, whatever you're going for. But I wanted like clean herbs, a little bit of oregano flavor, a little bit of garlic. So I just stirred that in right before I stuffed the ravioli. So now let's jump over to making our homemade pasta. Yeah, pasta is kind of a solved problem. Like you can find lots of recipes that will all be very similar. I'll tell you the recipe that I use. And if you want to augment it in some way you can. Most recipes now will just tell you to use all-purpose flour. Some will use a mixture of all-purpose flour and semolina flour. I did use a mixture. I used actually two cups of all-purpose, one cup of semolina, and one cup of double zero like pizza dough powder, or not powder, flour. You don't have to get that. You don't have to use three different types of flour. You can just use all-purpose if you want. If you have semolina, you can use a mixture of semolina and all-purpose. They they have their, their, their benefits or whatever but don't get too hung up on, you know, using a bunch of different flours. But total of four cups of flour, however you wanted to distribute that, and six whole eggs. Some recipes will just have you use egg yolks. Some will use a mixture of egg yolks and whole eggs, basically trying to control for the hydration level of this dough. We want a dough that is workable and dense. 
but we don't want it to be crumbly and dry. So six whole eggs, there's lots of water in the albumin, the white of the egg, and that was sufficient for uh, making your scale. Also, a dash of salt, if we want to quantify it, two teaspoons to a tablespoon. Additionally, we have about three tablespoons of olive oil, okay? So olive oil, eggs, salt, flour, easy breezy. Now, I am a fan of the KitchenAid stand mixer, and for most of the baked goods that I make, I do use the dough hook attacher to knead the dough and to mix everything up. Except for when I make pasta. Why? I don't know, because it's rustic to start it off with a, a well in the middle of your flour, and then you mix the eggs up with a fork, and use the fork to incorporate more and more of the flour until you have a dough that comes together. I don't know, there's something about doing it with a fork that appeals to me. That's it. I don't do it right on the countertop because it may, I'm going to make a huge mess of the countertop later. I don't need to, to make a mess of it right now. So I have a big mixing bowl, all the flour, the salt, everything goes into there. Make a nice big well in the middle, dump in your six eggs, start whisking the eggs with a fork. And then as it draws in some of their flour, you kind of start grabbing from the rim around your flour well until it gets nicely incorporated. And then you switch to hand meat and get it all mixed up so that you have a solid ball of dough. Turn that out onto a lightly floured surface, countertop, whatever, and then knead that by hand for eight minutes. You basically want it to be soft and smooth, and uh, it'll still be a little bit sticky. Like, we'll dry this out as we start producing actual pasta, but it shouldn't stick to your ear. You shouldn't have to squeegee it off your hands but it will be a little sticky. So having it on a floured surface and kneading it will you'll work it and, and create those golden chains. After you've kneaded it for eight minutes, roll it into a ball, wrap it up in saran wrap and let it sit room temperature, just bring it on the counter there for a half hour, 30 minutes. That'll allow those, those gluten chains, those feel plastic rubber bands to relax a little bit. And then we'll get to actually rolling it through the contraption. So after 30 minutes, you'll again, turn this out onto your uh, a lightly floured surface. And if you have a bench scraper, which is like, like a knife, it's like a big squeegee type thing. Uh, you'll see it in the pictures. If you don't know the name of it is a bench scraper, it's the thing that you cut dough with and scrape it off of your surface. Use that to cut it into probably fourths you know, quarters. If you have one takeaway from this episode, like if you're like, I'm going to make pasta for the first time, when is the important thing to remember? Once you start rolling the, the dough out, you don't want to leave your dough unattended, open to the air for an appreciable amount of time, more than like two or three minutes. The reason is that even though it will be very workable and not sticking to anything when you're rolling it through and everything, it will create a very long, the dimensions of this dough will will be overwhelming if you keep it all in one piece. When we made croissants a couple weeks ago, I was saying like, be aware of like your counter space because you're gonna need like an uninterrupted two to three feet of counter space for this process of laminating the dough and pounding it into a slab. This process of like making pasta will create a much longer raft of dough. But unlike the croissants, you can cut this at any time to keep it into a manageable size. Like you imagine a box of pasta, they're not much more than 12 inches long, if that. It might be like eight to 10 inches. So you don't have to have one, you know, 30 foot contiguous piece of pasta dough rolled out. So we can definitely cut it into manageable pieces as you go. 
but there will be times when it really kind of gets away from you. It's like, wow, this is like ridiculously long. If you cut it and then start working with half of it, leave the other half sitting there, when it comes out of the pasta roller and might not be sticky at all, but you sit it down on the uh, on the countertop and you don't do anything with it for four or five minutes, and come back and all of a sudden it's adhered to the countertop. It has warmed up a little bit, you know, it is the gluten chains have relaxed. It's going to sunk out a bit and we're allocating the moisture that's in the dough and all of a sudden, boom, it's adhered to the uh, countertop and that's no good. So that's why we're always jumping back and forth from one piece to the next, keeping them moving, keeping them engaged so that it keeps them free and not stuck to everything. So whenever you start working with it, work with a, a manageable piece. You know, don't, obviously I could use this whole ball of dough all at once. And even if you cut it in half, it'll very quickly get away from you. So cut it in quarters and anything you're not working with, wrap it up in saran wrap and let it sit aside there. So it doesn't dry out. So we have, cause especially as you roll it out for increasing surface area, that's exposed to the air and it will dry out very quickly and we want to keep it soft and supple. All right. So now if you're, if you're using a roller, whether it's a hand cranked one or an attachment for your stand mixer, it's going to have nine settings on it. It's going to have one, a big gap to two, and then two through nine are going to be just one, one click away from each other. We are going to roll this out till we get to setting number six because we want it relatively thick and substantial for both the fettuccine and the ravioli. The first, so, okay, so here's the thing. We needed this by hand for eight minutes. That started the process of developing the glute. That was fine. The real magic for the texture of the finished noodle is going to come from extensive rolling. The rolling is going to massage the dough and really homogenize it, make it nice and smooth. And but supple is the best word that I can think of for it. So we're going to start off by sending it through the roller several times. Roll it through on, on setting number one, fold it in half lengthwise and go through again, fold it in half, I'm sorry, horizontally, send it through four or five times on one by folding it, running it through, folding it, running through. And once you've done that, you'll, it'll feel nice. It'll feel like it's not sticking, but it's still very workable. Then drop it down to two and roll it through there. And occasionally what you might want to do is cut the, cut it into basically like a rectangle using your, your bench scraper, just to keep it manageable and nice. But run it through two, maybe run it through twice on number two, but without folding in half. And then you know, hit the three, four, five, and six. On each one of those, if you run it through at least twice, you will get enough manipulation of the dough with the mechanical rollers that it will have a really nice uh, feel to it. If it tears, if it crumbles or whatever, you know, work it again. You can add a little, you know, a little touch of olive oil, spritz it with some water and work it through like a good kneading. But hopefully the six eggs, the three tablespoons of olive oil, that is enough to hydrate it enough to prevent crumbling and, and breaking, but not so much that it's going to be like sticking to the rollers. That's the last thing you want to have, have happen. But anyway, run it through there until you get down to six, and then you switch out that head to the fettuccine cutter if you make a fettuccine, or you can use those individual sheets of finished dough rolled out to make your raviolis. Yeah. With fettuccine, you run it through there, you get a cut, 
and then you want to dust it with some flour. If you have semolina, dust it with semolina, toss in a little bit so that whenever it's resting. I like to rest it on a, a cookie sheet with parchment paper and then lightly dust it with flour so that it doesn't stick. But then you can have that set aside. And spread it off. Don't put it in a big pile because in the stuff in the middle, it'll be real humid. The stuff on the outside will be drier. Kind of get it in an even layer. But we're at start about making a ravioli. You want at least two sheets of dough. Or you'll have much more than that. I think I make 10 total raviolis. And uh, I use less than like a quarter of the dough for that. I'm not used to less than a quarter for the fettuccine. And I have my dough in the fridge for a day. But lay your first sheet down on parchment paper. or And you can do a floured surface. At this point, don't have a lot of surface flour for whenever it's actually finished. So I just lay it down on parchment. And then if you have a, a cookie cutter, if you actually have a ravioli stamp or a ravioli mold, that's cool. I just got these round cookie cutters that have like a scalloped edge on it because they are attractive. They look somewhat ravioli-esque, but they are cookie cutters. Anyway, lay your dough down and then get every two inches, put a heaping tablespoon of your ricotta cheese filling and then gently lay a second layer of dough over top of that so that it encloses the, uh, the cheese filling. And then with your fingers, just kind of press the dough down around those balls of cheese that are in there so that it excludes air, like you don't want like a big air pocket, but it also sort of, it, you're not sealing it at this point, you're just kind of like making your individual ravioli units. And then using the cookie cutter, you can cut those out individually so that by pressing that cookie cutter into the dough, it will seal the edges by you know, pressing them together and, and shearing them, shearing off the ex excess dough. So you do that and then transfer them very gently to a parchment lined baking sheet to hold aside until you are ready to cook them. And when it comes to cooking, whether it's the ravioli, the fettuccine, whatever, fresh pasta, you're looking at less than three minutes, very quick because you don't have to rehydrate. You don't have to break down the cured pasta to allow the water in. You basically just need to, to boil them very quickly. And of course you add salt to the water, a handful of salt, let the water be salty like the sea, and then boil your pasta very quickly. Three minutes, maybe two minutes for the fettuccine, three minutes for the ravioli so that you get the heat penetrating through the cheese and everything. And then it is time to sauce. And uh, sauce these however you want. You can use a red sauce like you want to bolognese, however you want to do it. I just melted some butter with some garlic and some fresh herbs. And then it wasn't even like a sauteing, like I wasn't like frying thing in it. I was just keeping your legs in the hot and laying the, the finished raviolis in the butter, stirring a little bit over the top, and then plating them here with some fresh herbs. It's fantastic. But then I mean, that's that's all beside. Point is. Pasta, homemade pasta, very easy to make. It's just a process. You just go through the steps and it's remarkably good. But it tastes, it tastes good and it has a really nice mouthfeel to it. And by controlling every step of the process here, you know exactly like how much of everything you're, you're consuming beyond just the calorie count for your servings. And it's very rewarding. I hope you give it a shot. If you have kids, they love playing with the dough. They might not like how delicate it is, you know, you need to be careful with it so you're not ripping it, so you're not getting it stuck to the counter or whatever, but they can definitely help with this. It, it, it's very satisfying. It ultimately, the shape, of the, the shape of the noodle doesn't matter that much. So you can do, 
you can just cut cushion out with with like a pizza roller, pizza cutter into random shapes. Just once you get the thickness down, and then have fun with it. You could use your cookie cutter to cut out fun shaped noodles. You know, you can do little Christmas trees or 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 flowers or whatever. A great recipe. If you look it up, it's called Patties and Rags. It's like potatoes and oddly shaped uh, sheets of of pasta dough that creates like a little super concoction <laughs> but it's a fun name it's fun to say teddies and rags but that's it homemade pasta homemade ricotta combine them however you want make a lasagna make some raviolis it's up to you man it's a lot of fun thanks for listening talk to you guys next week